loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I welcome Lisa Braver Moss. Lisa's the author of Shrug, which was released in this month, August 2019. She's a writer specializing in family issues, health, Judaism, and humor. Her work has appeared in Parents, Tikkun, Lilith, The Huffington Post, and more. Moss is the author of the novel, The Measures of His Grief. Her nonfiction book credits include Celebrating Family, Our Lifelong Bonds with Parents and Siblings, and as a co-author, The Mother's Companion, A Comforting Guide to the Early Years of Motherhood. She's also the co-author of Celebrating Brit Shalom, the first ever book of ceremonies and music for Jewish families opting out of circumcision. Moss is a survivor of childhood domestic violence and grew up in Berkeley, California. She lives with her husband in nearby Piedmont, and they have two grown sons. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's, it's delightful to be here. I'm happy to have you. And of course, I'm about a block off of Piedmont. So uh, unusually, <laughs> we are very local to each other. Yes. So yeah. I'm, uh, I'm thinking of you, Emma, you know, being so nearby and uh, having been uh, affected by similar events to, to me. I lived here when I was, when I was young as well. Um, mm, yes. So it's a, it's a unique place. Yes, it is, uh, definitely. Um, so, two things. I, too, have written a, a novel that, that incorporates some experiences that are my experiences. People always think uh, it's my story, which it isn't. But I'm assuming right. this for you, that, that in writing this novel about uh, childhood trauma and, and abuse... Um, that at least some of it comes out of your own experience. Yes, it, it definitely does. I, um, I grew up with domestic violence and some pretty severe emotional brutality. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, so that, that part is autobiographical. And um, it, it's just it's a very rich topic because while we've become much more aware of domestic violence in general as a, as a phenomenon that needs to be addressed, um, I think sometimes we don't think enough about the effects that this has on children in the household. And there, right now, there are about 15 million of those children living in, living in homes where there has been domestic violence. And, um, you know, so this is a, this is a widespread issue. Um, so, yes, I definitely drew on my own experiences as a child um, to construct this book. And how, how what, uh, you know, pushed you to write fiction as opposed to a memoir or any other way of, of writing about your experiences, do you think? 
Yeah, I, I didn't know for a while whether I was working on a memoir or fiction. And then um, a, an editor friend said, well, memoir is fiction, <laughs> which I thought was... was <laughs> a very <amazing>. good comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because what you choose to, to have in and, what, and how you choose to emphasize things, of course, has an effect on the, on the read. Um, but I, I got some freedom. Pr- I think I would have felt more constrained by things like what actually took place, and this would have involved my interviewing people and getting all kinds of different answers, of course. And, <laughs> and it, it kind of sounded like a mess um, to, to write a memoir. Um, whereas with fiction, I was able to kind of tell the emotional truth regardless of whether a scene, a particular scene actually happened or happened that way. Um, so it, it gave me much more freedom to tell the story. And, and then also, once I really kind of got the teenage voice, that, that voice that carries through the book, um, it, things kind of fell into place in terms of what the book was and what, you know, what direction I was going with it. Um, so those are, those are the reasons that I chose not to, to write a memoir. I've written a lot of um, uh, self-reflective essays over the years, um, but not a whole book about it. So, um, so here we are. <laughs> uh, you bring up the, the voice of your main character, Martha, and, and her having the teenage voice. And I would say uh, earlier in the book, the child voice um, for instance, I was very drawn to the way that you captured her self-doubt and how uh, being in a confusing environment, uh, more than anything at first, caused her to doubt herself. That seemed very authentic to me. Yes, unfortunately, that is very authentic. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, of course, as a, as a therapist, I encounter that almost 100% of the time. Mm, that yeah. that when something has traumatized us, the hardest thing to do is, uh, if we haven't been set, told, you know, yes, what you're experiencing is real. If we haven't been affirmed, it's so hard to believe that we're right about yes, what's happening. Yes. yes, it is. Yes. So that was familiar to you from your own experiences. Unfortunately, yes, it was. It, it and was. that's it's it's so hard to recapture that, isn't it? A belief in our in own terms, perceptions. In terms of the writing itself, you mean? No, in terms of being people, uh, to recapture a belief in our own perceptions and once, oh, yes. once that's been undermined. And it's interesting that you say recapture because it's, it, you're sort of implying there's, we're, we're kind of born with, with a sense of self as a, as a birthright. And I think when it gets stripped away from repeated trauma and... Um, and abuse, I think it is very difficult to restore one's sense of self to what it really, what it really was meant to be. Mm. Yes. I, I'm thinking about how, you know, when I was trained in psychology, they would talk about we learn who we are because someone reflects us back to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so then if that reflection process is not happening, how do we know, <laughs> you know? Um, yes. Thinking about that a lot during your book, I, I think it would be actually a good time for people to to be able to hear that voice. Would you share um, the the section of your book um, 
that starts with your mother scrubbing the sink? Oh, it's so funny that you say that. Um, I just was pulling that very excerpt out of my pile here. <laughs> I was thinking that was that was a we good one. We were on the same with. page accidentally. Yes, <laughs> yes, we literally were. Um, okay, so this is um, this is a scene in in Martha's childhood that happens. And let me think if there's any way I need to set it up. I, I don't think so. I think it speaks for itself. Um, we'll, okay. we'll talk about it after. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, okay. My mother had been scrubbing the sink with Ajax while the iron was heating up. An ugly old pair of two-toned blue rubber gloves was draped across the counter, and the place smelled like a swimming pool. It was almost as if we were a household where stuff got done. I can't even remember now what the fight was about. The point is, my father came at my mother with his fists and started pounding her shoulders and her head. The hot iron toppled over onto the fabric. Neither Hildy nor I had a chance to pick the iron up or unplug it because we were busy shouting, Stop it! Stop it! at my father and trying to pry him off my mother and also trying not to trip over the cord and trying to make sure our parents didn't either. Drew, who had been upstairs playing in his room, came running down, crying, and adding his little voice to ours. Stop it! Stop it! But my father kept hitting, and my mother kept shrieking and trying to hit back. The Ajax scent was eclipsed by the smell of hot cotton, then singed cotton, then burnt cotton. All of a sudden, what flew out of my mouth was this. You pathetic goddamn bastard! Stop it! Hildy and Drew gasped. My father whipped around. I knew I was about to get pummeled or at least slapped hard across the face. But then my father grabbed the hot iron. At first I thought he was just taking it off the burnt fabric to set it upright. Instead, he pushed the iron through the air toward my face, too close. I didn't flinch or shrug because it was the kind of situation where you only get it afterwards how terrifying it was. In that first split second, I just stared at my father with hatred. Then I realized Hildy and Drew and my mother were all screaming, and I had darted backwards. My mother was still in a pile on the floor, shrieking, You son of a bitch, stop! and scrambling up. It was Hildy who struggled with my father for the iron. My father was stronger, but luckily all he did was yank it away and send it clattering onto the vinyl tile floor though Hildy did have to do a little foot dance to avoid its hitting her. My mother was upright by this time, but still hysterical and completely useless. My father ran out of the house, slamming the door so hard behind him that the windows shook as if we were having an earthquake. Two of the vinyl floor tiles got ruined, and by the way, they've never gotten fixed, but at least he was done hitting for now. What stood out about that scene to me, Lisa, is that uh, Martha, as a person, as a character, I guess we'll have to say, uh, this is unusual for her. She's a kind of um, um, rule follower, I guess. Uh, she's not a big objector in, in, often. And so uh, I, I was kind of rooting for her, even though it was so dangerous and fearful what was happening. She, at that moment, she did get it that that this was so wrong. Yes. 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 That's that's right. And and it's true. She is very much of a um, a, a rule 
rules follower, but she does have this rebellious streak um, when the father is behaving this way. You know, she, well, and she, also, uh, you know, some of the descriptions I've read of you or of your book are about how the pro- protests were going on. This is during the pic- the the period of history where the Berkeley protests were happening. A lot of of foment, a lot of revolutionary foment, and how yes. she didn't do that. But in a way, I thought, well, she was rebelling against her parents. Well, right? exactly, and that that's that's. <laughs> That's the intent, uh, um, and she doesn't really have the bandwidth for any moral battle other than other than that. That's completely all-consuming. So she really doesn't. She she stands by the sidelines in terms of protests and marches. Um, she she doesn't really participate in that. You know, I both as a uh, looking at my own history paying attention to my children and what, uh, how they've developed. I've come to think of it that there are ways to rebel that are actually quite helpful and other ways, of course, that get in our way, that, that yeah. interrupt what we need. But uh, Martha's rebellion into studies and getting to college so she can get away, and there's, there's a very... Um, uh, self-supporting aspect to that, isn't there? Yes. Even though I she doesn't know it. <laughs> she, does, she doesn't know it. She doesn't know her own strength. But um, this is something that I experienced also as a child. I, I had a very strong um, drive to achieve and to succeed. And, um, and, and it's, it's a temperament thing, I think. It's something you're, you're sort of born with. Um, I because I can't remember ever not having that. I remember even as a young child, a five-year-old child, I can remember a few little incidents where I, I wanted to do the thing that everybody else was doing, but, you know, do it really well and have it be published or whatever it was. It was, you know, um, little little contests I wanted to enter and so on. Um, and, yeah, so, so that's, that's very true. Yeah. And did that come out uh, for you? You know, Martha is is such a, a naturally gifted musician, and yes. um, I I also did music as a kid. Um, in a same the same sort of not realizing I had a talent for it kind of way. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but just thinking this is what you did, you know. <laughs> You played right. an instrument or you sang or whatever, uh, never recognizing whatever might have been special about what I was doing. So I really related to Martha in that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and I wondered if much, that was true for you as well. Yeah, I, um, Martha is much more talented than, than I am um, but, or, or than I was. Um, but, um, yeah, I think that that sense of not valuing herself is really, that's a really powerful, um, that's a really powerful element here. But um, yeah, she doesn't recognize her own, she recognizes it, but it doesn't, it doesn't really register, I think. And also in this family, in this family system, achievement is, there's such negative um, uh, messages about achievement that it's, it's really hard to, to overcome that and, and, just you're overcoming the whole family culture um, 
in order to achieve really anything. Um, and so I wanted to kind of, yeah, I, I wanted her to eventually pick that back up and, and make something of it. Uh-huh. Uh, well, also that, um, you know, often in the book, I found that when Martha was confused about something, she attributed it to a lack of intelligence, when actually, to me, it seemed confusing, <laughs> you know, <Right>. literally confusing, <laughs> that she had it right, that what was happening or what what she was being exposed to was something to question because it didn't make sense. Right. But right. It seemed to me, she didn't, uh, she always assumed it was something lacking in her that she didn't get it. Right. And, and I think, I, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, well, I just, that's so familiar to me from so many, um, yes. you know, from myself and so many people I've known that uh, it takes a long time to realize it's not all you, that there's, <laughs> there are things right. going on that are beyond right. that. Right. And I think self-blame is such a um, powerful force in these situations that the, the kids can't help but but adopt that as a as a as a worldview, um, or, you know, even unconsciously. Um, so I think, you know, when she blames herself for not understanding something that's, that's not really understandable <laughs> to anybody, um, that's, you know, that's very much comes from that impulse. Um, because with self-blame, I think, you know, we have, we can preserve the illusion that we could fix things if we only tried harder or were smarter or, that it it gives one, I think, the sense of control, even if if one is failing at the particular task at hand. You know, that's I, I read that in one of the interviews of you, and it really stood out because it's something I very much believe, and also very much relates to grief, uh, which, of course, uh, when when you grow up in an environment like that, there is grief. You've lost a safe childhood. Um, yes. And I think the first uh, impulse, at least in Western culture, uh, after loss is, what did I do wrong? Even even sure. when it makes no sense whatsoever, that's, right. that's going to be the first question. What, what could I have done differently? What did I do wrong? How could this have happened? Right. Um, but then when a child has a thought like that, it tends to change their whole world. <laughs> you know, right, right. They are, yeah, yeah. Well, it's getting to be about time for our first break, and I think that's a good place to uh, to to break. But uh, when we come back, what I'd really like to ask you about is how you personally found your way through and out of that, because I can't imagine you could have written this book unless you had. Uh, found a way forward. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and I want to definitely hear about that. Um, so let's come back to that when, when the break's over. Okay, thank you. And listeners, during the break, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. There's also a link to uh, a page where you can buy my book, An Ocean Between Them. Uh, Please sign up for my email so you can get messages from me in between these shows. And uh, if you want to find Lisa Braver Moss, you can go to lisabravermoss.com. Be back soon. Mm-hmm. 
think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Lisa Braver Moss about her novel Shrug and her childhood in a family that experienced domestic abuse. And before the break, Lisa, I was saying I really wanted to hear how you went forward from that. Uh, I guess I can assume that you, like Martha, uh, went to college and um, changed environments. But of course, I know and you know, that doesn't always change that internal uh recognition of what's happened or uh, kind of get you moving forward in an emotional sense. And I was curious how that unfolded for you. For many years, <laughs> <actually>. <laughs> um, but I did go to college and um, I, I, uh, I really um, got a lot out of, out of that in terms of just being away from the family, um, but, but I wasn't really away. I went, I went to Cali and Berkeley, but still just having that college experience was helpful in terms of um, my own independence and so on. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's, I had a lot of difficult years, and I think you know, when I started this book, as I said, I wasn't sure if it was the memoir or, um, or a novel or what I was doing, but this is... This is something that um, that very much informed. Well, how do I say this? Um, I've sort of lost what I was what I was thinking about. Um, yeah, I think she. I think I had to really. Um, I had to really work on this book in pieces. In other words, at first it was one thing, and then I would take it out of the drawer and look at it and make some big changes, and then I would put it back in the drawer, and then I would take it out again. And, and I wrote other books in between, um, but this was particularly challenging. And I think because I come from this family in which achievement is, is frowned upon, was frowned upon, um, I think, you know, yes, it, it was very liberating to write the book eventually when I, when I finally kind of got it right, um, but it was all, it's beyond that, beyond just being able to speak my truth, 
the achievement of having this book out there, I think, is, is really, that's really a, a powerful, uh, that's a really powerful thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I floundered for, for a lot of years and was fortunate to uh, marry and have a stable family life and, um, you know, managed to, to somehow make that happen. Um, but it's, it's not been easy. And those self-esteem issues really follow one around, I think. They certainly followed me around. And, um, and it, it's, it was tough. And I think, you know, one nice thing about getting older is you, you do get wiser and you do have more of a sense of what things are about. I think that was a lot of the problem with this book was I wasn't sure what it was, what's the takeaway. I wasn't sure completely what it was about. And then the self-esteem thing, oh, this was such a challenge. I, I grew up in an environment in which it, it, it seemed advantageous to admit my faults all the time. It, it seemed like that was the way to convince my mother in particular that I was insightful. And so I had, I had a, a, the main character, Martha, um, I, I had her complicated and in ways that maybe weren't so sympathetic as a character and I really had to take a hard look at that and, and make her more sympathetic as a character because um, admitting to flaw... I mean, this was... You see what I'm saying? This, that my self-esteem was bleeding over into the work and, uh. and not to my advantage, not to Martha's advantage and not to my advantage. Um, <laughs> so as, as I made her draft by draft more lovable and more somebody that, that was... The, that the reader is really rooting for, it was so healing for me to go through that process because it's, it, it's you know, by extension, it was, it, was, it was an act of self-love to, to go through that process. You know, I was actually thinking in that direction as I was reading that uh, you had to get a certain distance away from the original experience to even think about using the experience to write. Uh, And it sounds as if that comes naturally to you. You are a writer and you want to write. But writing this story, I could imagine, took some some work to get ready to do that. And then I imagine that writing it um, and crafting it was another uh, way of working with what had happened in your life. And by the way, Martha's very lovable. Hmm, yeah. I found her very lovable, um, and yeah. she she broke my heart because there were so many things she didn't know that were influencing her circumstance, uh, right. and so many ways she was out on a limb. Um, I remember thinking when uh, my I have three children, the one that was took the most to raise, as it were, and. I was doing homework with her once and I thought, what would ha- be happening with her if she didn't have me? Hmm. Um, I, I felt she would be kind of in the soup, you know? <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah. Not because she didn't have a lot of capacity, but just it took a lot of tenacity to kind of keep helping her go in a direction that served her, right? And right. so I thought right. about that when I was reading about Martha not being able to get even a note when she was sick to give to the school that, right. that you know, um, 
confirmed that she had been ill. The, right. the number of kids in the world who are living without any resource and trying to navigate rules that they can't follow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then she wants the principal to sort of take an interest in what the situation is, and, and he doesn't because she's, she's a good student, so she kind of falls through the cracks from being a, from being a good student. She's not a troublemaker. Um, she doesn't cut class. You know, she does, it doesn't even occur to her to cut class. Right, but his solution is he signs the note, not he right, wonders right. why there's no one at home to sign the note <laughs> for this right. Uh, and I, I felt that was quite real even now, even though, of course, schools are mandated reporters, you would imagine that uh, someone's uh, concern would be tweaked by a, by a situation like that. Right. But I'm not sure that it's that different. I'm not sure that it's different enough. Different enough from... From the way it was when you and I were kids. Oh, I see. I'm not sure yeah, that there's, there's enough more attention to what might be going on for kids. Right, and I think especially with these overworked teachers and overworked administrators and, um, you know, a kid that is doing fine in school and, and achieving and keeping afloat, um, you know, maybe the mother was in a bad mood that day um, and... And, you know, one can't, I think maybe they, they can't really afford to expend attention on somebody who's doing fine at, from all the outside appearances. And yet that is, as you well describe in your book, that is one way of coping. Uh, kind That's of, right. Uh, That's right. Putting your nose down and trying to follow the rules and trying not to disclose what's happening and... Uh, Sometimes I obviously, or maybe not so obviously, have extra worry about that kid in a in a family that's not working so well. Well, because that's that's very that's very thoughtful of you. <laughs> I think sometimes that kid really falls through the cracks. You know, right? Nobody thinks there's much to be concerned about, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So then you had to come to recognize for yourself that there was something to be concerned about. Yes, and that became, that became clear in the writing process in a way. Um, and there were a lot of layers of it. I mean, I was much better at, you know, as, as time went by, I got much better um, in terms of my own stability and self, self-awareness and self-love. You know, it's... it's it's just I've improved with age um, and with some help. <laughs> um, but um, that's an but, important factor, huh? Yeah, that's who, an important who helps factor. Us? But um, yeah, um, but yeah, I, I and now I forget what I was actually saying there. Um, yeah. Well, we were I'm, talking oh, I, about we were talking about how sometimes the kid who seems to be doing fine. Uh, actually needs us to be concerned. Right. That's, it's, it's so true. And I think um, I've often been uh, congratulated for, if people know anything about my childhood, they, you know, they, people often say, oh, you turned out so well, um, you know, and this kind of thing. I sort of, I sort of blend in. 
um, with well-adjusted people, and I'm, I've become very, very skilled at that. And maybe I even am well-adjusted now. You never know. <laughs> there's <laughs> but, a possibility um, of that. <laughs> but yeah, there's a possibility. Um, but yeah, she, um, she. I think for Martha in Shrug, it, it, what relieves her anxiety the most is getting her schoolwork done, and. Whereas some other kid, maybe what relieves their anxiety best is to be out smoking and drinking and experimenting with sex. But just because someone goes on the more the straight and narrow path, as you were saying, doesn't mean that they're free of in, internal demons. And, you know, we see this now with self-destructive behaviors like eating disorders and self-harm in, and things like that, where it's it's these kids that that seem to be blending in just fine and seem to be doing fine that sometimes are the most worrisome. Right. And yet, uh, I'm sure you value some of what came out of that particular way of coping. Yes, Uh, definitely. The 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 self-drive and the self... Yeah. Yeah. The the drive and the Mm self-discipline. Maybe you could share a little more of the book at this point. Um, okay. Is there something you'd particularly like to share, or I could suggest? Something? Well, I was thinking of that scene with the with the mother and the note, um, but uh, I could also. What do you think? Would that Would that work? Great. Yeah, that would be great. Okay. Since we've All just right. been talking about it, it'd be perfect. <laughs> okay. So, so Martha is in this household with a very little functionality, and there's there's no paper or pens that work. in the house, so I'll just set it up that way. Mom, could you write me a note for school? I've got binder paper. She didn't answer. I need a note, Mom, I repeated. I've been out for two days. Write your own note, Miss Rules and Regulations, and then you'll sign it? You got yourself sick, Martha. Now you deal with it. Okay, I sighed, and Drew and I glanced at each other. In my binder for school, I had a plastic pouch with a few things in it. Pen, protractor, pencil, eraser, emergency dime. It'd be easier than trying to find a working pen in the house, let alone blank paper. I need you to sign it, though. My mother was putting the pan in the dish drain. Mom? Martha, I'm not signing anything. She looked straight at me. Maybe she wanted to see how I'd react. But, Mom, an unexcused absence will go on my record shrug. And stop that uptightness of yours. What? I wasn't sure whether she meant the note for school or the shrug. That neurotic affectation, just stop that shrugging. It's as if you're claiming you don't know, but you goddamn well do know. You know perfectly well. Mom, that's mean, Drew said in a small voice. I tried to sound calm. Mom, if I don't have a note, it'll make my grades go down. I mean... It's one thing if I skipped school to go to a peace rally or something. Then I could understand. You made your bed, Martha, my mother snarled. Now you're going to lie in it. Before I knew it, I was standing up, jiggling the chair just as my father did when he was angry. Jesus Christ, I comfort you whenever you cry, which is like practically every minute, I shouted, about how much better your life would have been if you'd never met Dad which is completely a very ugly thing to say to your own child. Oh, yes, my mother said, how the truth hurts. 
Drew said, Mom, that's not fair to Martha. He had gotten up from the table, his skinny body next to the kitchen wall, his white socks showing under his too short jeans. My mother kept looking at me with contempt. I paused a moment just to make absolutely sure this wasn't a mistake, a misunderstanding. Then I started shrieking. Well, if you're going to be like this, you can just go fuck. The next instant, I saw the frying pan coming toward me. There was infinite time to think. She's not throwing the frying pan. She's just getting ready to hit me with it. This isn't like a scene with Dad. Dad would have thrown the pan while it was hot, with hot food in it. He would have meant it for Mom, but the hot food would have gotten on me and Hildy and Drew if we happened to be in the way. Mom isn't doing what Dad would do. This pan is still wet, but it's clean and it's not hot. She's holding on to it, getting ready to hit my head. This isn't like Dad. I jumped out of the kitchen and grabbed my books, binder, and concert chorale music, then made a leap toward the front door. I squeezed the front door latch, opened the door, and slammed it behind me. The brass knocker echoed my slam as I pounded down the wooden steps. The thing that stands out to me about these two parents is that um, the person we'd assume is the most damaging is the violent parent. Yes. And yet I'm not sure he's doing the most damage because everyone knows that that's out of uh, out of control behavior, maybe. Right. Um, but the mother is cruel in a way that's quite different, you know, that's quite methodical and, and almost planned. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly how, how to say it, but maybe you can um, illuminate that a little more when we come back from our next break. Yeah, that would be, that would be great. Listeners, you can go find me at weatheringgrief.com, my website, or the Good Grief Host page. And to find Lisa Brever Moss, go to lisabravermoss.com. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. 
In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been here talking with Lisa Braver Moss about her book, Shrug. And before the break, Lisa, we were talking about, in a, in a way, how the cruelty of, of Martha's mother uh, almost does more internal damage than the violence of the father. We can't compare, of course. <laughs> but I was just thinking about how when someone is attacking you for things that actually aren't wrong with you, uh, for instance, when you get a cold, you haven't committed a crime, and you need a note to get back to school. There's nothing Martha's doing wrong there, and right. being attacked for that so tear rips rips the fabric in a in a different kind of way. Yes. Yes, I think I think the mother is so off the rails, and and the father turns out, you know, the batterer in this book turns out to be more capable of love than the mother. And, you know, I think the reader sees this early on, um, it sees that the mother is off the rails early on, and Martha just doesn't see it. Um, but, yeah, I, I really liked that um, juxtaposition of the two parents, that, that it, it winds up being that even in spite of everything, the father is, Jules is more capable of love than, than Willa is. Yeah, he's yeah. he's flawed, but he does care about his kids. That's right. <laughs> you know, in his right. flawed ways, tries to kind of show up. That's yes? right. Yes, I, I, I realize we true. haven't we haven't really um, uh, talked about why the title of the book is that title that that Martha has a nervous tick, but of course, nervous ticks are not always nervous. Sometimes they're just physical manifestations that that get worse under stress potentially um we always knew when martha was stressed which was of course a lot of the time because she had a shoulder shrug shrug right and right and speaking of the mother uh she was so unkind about that yeah um and so i was thinking about you know kids and how horrible it is when children get attacked for something they actually can't change. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's completely beyond their control. Uh, that was one of the heartbreaking parts of the book for me. Yeah. Yeah, it is heartbreaking. Um, but yeah, I, I, the, the title just kind of, um, it kind of just occurred to me and, 
I think I like it because of its its irony. Um, you know, this girl is anything but shru- you know she's she's anything but shrugging things off. You know, she's taking everything very hard and very seriously, and so I like that. And then, of course, there's a way in which she does shrug things off because she she wants to achieve, and she has it in her head that that's what she wants, and all the rest is is. She's going to overcome by, she thinks she's going to overcome everything by achieving. Let's you know, talk a little think- bit about where the mother who's been all on top of the, everybody, <laughs> you know, suddenly disappears. Um, a very dramatic thing to happen, but um, I, I was trying to put myself in Martha's place at that point. To uh, yeah. to long for what was, even though what was was bad. Yes, exactly, exactly. And when she has the opportunity, when Martha has the opportunity to go and live with her best friend, she she doesn't want to. Um, even though there's, it's comforting over there. She wants to. She wants to somehow keep the family together, such as it is. Um, Maybe you can yeah. share a little bit from the book about, uh, because then, of course, even though her mom has disappeared, they have to actually, uh, her father actually has to go to court and and get custody. Uh, could, you, yes. could you read the uh, section of the book about the, the lawyer? Yes. Well, this is, this is after they meet with the lawyer and, um, and, Martha is just feeling very overwhelmed and um, has really just gotten wind of this idea that that the father is going to sue for custody. Um, but she's feeling very displaced because she's been um, evicted from the family home and there are students there instead. And um, yeah, so that's, so that's how to set up this scene. After the meeting with Mr. Hinge, I didn't feel like returning to the store with my father and Hildy. I'd left my school stuff there, thinking I'd go back after the appointment, but I suddenly couldn't stand my life, its endless rotation of math assignments, Latin quizzes, physics labs, concert chorale sectionals, shifts at on record, and then the college forms I was supposed to pick up at Berkeley High Counseling Center and start filling out. I somehow felt these things kept me afloat. They didn't. I didn't want to eat out with my father and Hildy, spend money we didn't have. I didn't want to hear those brainwashed, bald-headed guys next to the food carts on campus chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Krishna Krishna, Rama Rama, over and over again in their peach togas. I didn't want to see Shalimar. I didn't want to try calling Drew. I was tired of remembering where my things were, and I was tired of keeping going no matter what. Sometimes I forgot that I was tired, but today I felt it in my body. It was as if I were on my feet all the time had been for weeks and months, and kept looking around for somewhere to sit or lie down, and there was never anything, so I kept going, because I just wasn't the type of person to sit right down on the ground to rest. I could skip smoking records, retrieve my school stuff tomorrow. My toothbrush and clean clothes were at Stephanie's, and she'd have the Latin book. We could finish the leftover spaghetti that Sylvia had made last night. We could drill each other on vocab and the passages from Virgil, 
with that weirdo Helvetica rubbing against our ankles with her gray body. We could talk about how Declan had gotten suspended again. I never seemed to get around to telling Stephanie about my having feelings for Clifton, if that was even the phrase for it. It was easier just to be one more girl who was pining over Declan Water. There was a southbound 51 waiting, waiting right on the corner of University and Shattuck. Before he and Stephanie hopped on, my father gave me change for the bus to Stephanie's. If I took the 67 back to my old house, would the Cal students let me in? Would they believe me that I lived there? I could prove it. I could tell them about the hidden cubbyhole in the kitchen pantry or about the small opening at the back of my closet that linked my room to Hildy's. If I showed it to them, told them about how I'd passed notes and a sandwich to Hildy through that opening one time when my mother had banished her to her room, would they let me stay with them? There must be a quilt lying around the linen chest. I could bring it into the bathroom and sleep in the tub, which would only be a problem if someone had to use the bathroom during the night. Or I could sleep in the pantry or the living room. I could take the quilt onto the front porch and sleep out there. Maybe the Cal students would give me the car keys and I could sleep in the station wagon. I knew how to be nice. I knew how to convince people I was trustworthy and would be okay in a pantry or on the back seat of a car. I knew how to sit on only half a chair at a dinner table or in a lawyer's office to prove I could make do with less than other people. Hmm. Not having anywhere to call home, literally. Yeah. I was also thinking about how uh, certain, almost always people can look back at certain exceptions, like Martha's friend, Stephanie, she doesn't fit in, or even her mother, they don't fit in with the paradigm, right? (laughs) They're they're a contrast. Um, Yes, right, right. And boy, those those things are so important uh, to, to have some contrasts in your life, some places where a terrible reality is not the only reality. That's right. Yeah, and I think often people don't, you know, I'm sure that Stephanie, the character Stephanie, probably just didn't realize what a lifeline she was to Martha. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, but, I, but I somehow imagine if these were actual real people that her mother might have known. You yeah, know, that's that sometimes uh, adults don't make a huge mention of the fact that they know how bad your situation is and they're trying to, you know, help. They just do something. But I, that character was very sympathetic in my eyes because yeah, she, yeah. she kind of let Martha show up whenever she needed to. That's right. Yeah. You know, the book ends when when Martha goes to college, which which does make sense to me. Um because it's sto- it's the story of her childhood. But if you imagine just as in we have only a few minutes left, I'm wondering if you ever imagine uh Martha, as opposed to what happened with you, 
what might have happened with Martha after that point. Do you have right? I know. Right. I know. In my book, some of the people in my book are still hanging around with me. <laughs> you oh, know, I have that's so funny. <laughs> it, it is. I never. I thought that was something that that people who wrote novels made up, but <laughs> apparently right. it's true. And I wondered if that right. was true for you. Definitely. I, I definitely think about what, what she might be doing next and how she's, how she's faring at college, how she fares at college. Um, it's, you know, her story and mine are different, but, um, but I think she's, she's, able to, she's able to make use of, of what's there for her on campus, but I think she's probably still going to feel very much pulled back into the family and pulled back into even, even her mother's orbit. Um, and uh, because, it, as you, we were talking about earlier at the top of the hour, it's just you just don't necessarily get over this stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that that's you know that it's one of the things I that kind of makes me wince about um, about appearing to be um, about appearing as if I had you know a, a, a fine and dandy childhood. Um, not that people are looking around thinking about that, but. Just that I, you know, that I blend in, and um, it's it's the downside of that. You know, it's sort of it's because if I do talk with people about my childhood, sometimes they're skeptical. Like you, you can't, you know, it can't have been that bad because you turned out so well, and that's that's really painful because I've my progress in life has been hard won, and um, and you know, just to just to kind of climb up from the hole and get to neutral, um, climb out of the hole and get to neutral is, you know, to, to start each day um, is, I think, for Martha, is it, that's a big, big challenge, and um, it is in real life, too. You know, the, the post-traumatic growth, uh, I talk a lot on this show about post-traumatic growth, and in yes. that um, way of looking at things, uh, they say the the growth does not change the tr- the, the struggle. That they mm-hmm. both continue, and that we we want recognition of both. That's what I think about when you when you share that. We we want to be recognized for the suffering we have, and we want to be recognized for the growth we make out of it. Both. Yeah, yeah. I think you're. Re- that's so true. That's such a that's such an important insight. Um, Right, it's it's wanting to feel fully seen. Exactly. Um, I really yeah. want to thank you for being here today. I've enjoyed the conversation. And, oh, Cheryl, uh, me too. Thank you so much you for having me on the show. Uh, 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 you know, keep me informed because we're right in the same neighborhood. <laughs> so yes. thanks for yes, being we here. Are. Yes, and, we are. And listeners, you can find Lisa at lisabravermoss.com. Next week, I'll have Patricia Eagle to talk about her book, Being Mean a memoir of sexual abuse and survival. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.